0: Thank you. First time ever, Bakwai finally played Druid City Brewing Company. We did. Y'all played the live at the brewery. Yeah. And you guys go way back with Bo Hicks, one of the co-owners there. Yeah. What finally brought you guys to Druid City?
1: Honestly, I guess we were just asked. Not only have we never played there, I had never been there until that day, which is kind of weird being good friends with Bo and everything, but yeah, just, I guess... They asked John, and or somebody asked John, um, and John asked me, and we are good to go.
0: Was it a fun show?
1: It was awesome. It was awesome.
0: It was a packed yeah, house.
1: Pretty intimate.
0: Yeah. Did you like that?
1: Uh, yeah, I, I did. Everybody's up in your face. You know, there's no, like, sitting room or anything like that, so, you know, it kind of reminds me of, like, almost like a house show size area.
0: And you guys have played your fair share of house shows. Yeah, plenty of those. And, I mean, you guys seem to like them a lot. Over the years, y'all have played some really memorable wins. I don't know if you still play the occasional one every now and then.
1: We do. It, in Tuscaloosa, it's hard because they bust people all the time left and right. So there's not really much of a chance of any house show going past 9 p.m. really without it getting busted.
0: Uh, have you ever finished a house show?
1: Yeah, yeah. We, we, <laughs> and it doesn't <laughs> seem like it because usually it gets busted before we play. But uh, yeah, yeah, we've uh, a few times.
0: On top of Druid City, that show that you played there for the first time in years, Bakwai played Green Bar. Yeah, and you guys are going to play there again on St. Patrick's Day. That's a Tuesday. Yeah, what brought you back to Green Bar after all those years?
1: You know that that mostly has to do with John. Um, I guess he's just you know reconnected with some people. But uh, Green Bar seems like they're upping their game a little bit. They're focusing a little bit more on like being a, a really legitimate venue. You know, the back room used to be a storage room, and they've converted into a, a legit green room now. So you know, and they're getting new lights, and they're getting all the speakers seem to work although they didn't when we played last <laughs> last time. But, uh, yeah, it just seems to be a little more legitimate. They're talking about doing a little more sound-proofing type stuff to where the sound's not bouncing all over the place. So nothing specific, I just things I noticed when we played there last week.
0: Your regular spot, if you play in Tuscaloosa, is obviously Egan's. Yeah. And, and it's always a treat when you guys play Egan's because it's kind of like your home court. It's a setting that obviously suits you. You've got a lot of friends there. But I know people like me who not only love to see you guys play at Egan's, i love to see you play at as many different venues as possible. So for y'all to play Druid City and Green Bar and Top Shelf occasionally, I've seen some great shows with you guys there. I just wonder, is it all about scheduling? Is it an exclusive thing with Egan's to where we won't play anywhere else but Egan's until now?
1: No, I guess Egan's has been the easy place to play. I mean, we're good friends with uh, with Bob, the owner. He's really been a staple to the music community. He's really uh, behind the the whatever scene Tuscaloosa has. You know, plus our bass player works you know works there too. So it's just really easy to get a show there. You know, convenient. They offer free alcohol and ain't long. So if we don't have any money and want to get drunk, we play there. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we'll play anywhere in town. I think that the more we're in this band, the older we get, the more. You know, we don't want to play for $30 and two beers, you know. So, you know, different places pay different amounts. So, yeah, we're broadening out a little bit as far as where we're playing in
0: Tuscaloosa. We talked a little bit about this before we started here. You guys are past the decade, Mark. (laughs) That's right. Here in Tuscaloosa, just as a band, period. Have you really reflected on that yet? I mean, We try not to. (laughs) Well, it's rare that, I mean, bands obviously, historically, do stay together. In Tuscaloosa, it's a little different, right? In in a college town or, or in a town like this, I guess, the longevity isn't as, it's not as regular of a thing, just because of the cyclical nature of the fact that a lot of these bands form while, musicians are in college and then when they leave town the bands sort of break up or just dissipate or end however they do. Bakwai has remained together for 10 years. What do you (laughs) think it is that has kept you guys playing music together and being I guess friends?
1: Well neither of us are in college anymore so that helps. Um, We're all kind of rooted here. We've all talked about the idea of moving out of state and stuff like that before but I don't know. I guess we've just always been here. We've become brothers in a way, just because we've been together for so long. We've been stuck in a van for you know three months at a time with each other. So it's just, I don't know, it becomes easy. We know how to take each other, and we're to the point of family, past the point of friends, I think. Yeah. Kind of helps a little bit.
0: And you still enjoy playing together. Yeah,
1: yeah, we love playing together. We don't really practice anymore, but we still play.
0: Do you need to practice?
1: I guess we should practice if we want to write new music. Um, <laughs> but uh, we got material that we need to practice. We just need to actually do it
0: i want to go back to an interview you guys did in june of 2013 with the local television show tuscaloosa monorail mm-hmm. and people can find this interview it's like a full-length interview <laughs> with the three of you guys john snowden adam Payton, yourself chris zeiler where you guys are at green bar talking to zach travis the host of that show and y'all have a lengthy conversation and there's a quote that it was either you or john i think you said this you called yourself the unluckiest band ever in that interview
1: <laughs> yeah I could see that
0: what do you think they meant by that
1: I guess we've had a lot of people say that they were going to help us out or like they had good intentions but we put our trust in certain people and you know whatever ideas they had ends up fizzling out so it's just been a kind of repetitive thing time after time you know people say they're gonna do stuff for us or help us or you know this label or this you know mixing this record and it's just it gets uh, postponed because I guess we've learned that like when people say they're going to do something for free, there's no deadline really. So yeah, we've been given expectations or being told that we you know people would do stuff and we'd expect things from them, and then it usually ends up just fizzling out, and we're back to where we started. So yeah, we've been playing for 10 years, and uh, we've had a lot of good people help us and do good things with us and for us, and but you know as far as any label or you know, album mixing or this and that—things that should have been done three years ago still aren't done. So,
0: well, you guys are still doing it. Yet, yet you remain here, playing music, playing together, trying to record, writing new songs. Yeah. Despite all of the bad luck and plans falling through, what keeps you coming back to the well—the music well, I guess?
1: Um, I don't think we can really, you know, get out of it at this point. I mean, it's something that we love doing. Um, I mean I'm sure you ask either of the other guys we take off work we give up making money that we could be at home to go on the road I mean you know when you're on stage playing it it doesn't matter if you play bass or sing or drums I feel like it's probably you know one of all of our favorite places to be so it kind of makes everything else go away you know we all like it gives a sense of creative process it's just something we love to do you know people have their hobbies and we have Bakwai I guess
0: you mentioned recording albums and that falling through occasionally I feel like every time I see you in person or at a show, and I, I say the same thing to Adam. Sometimes I don't ask John because I don't know if I'm going to get an answer. Period. <laughs> yeah. But you guys have talked about this second second album, as it has been called. Yeah, third second album. Yeah, where you have <laughs> okay, well you you've got a lot of recorded material, a lot of new material that people haven't heard recorded that you do play live a lot, but yeah, it hasn't gotten into the hands say of fans and people who can't come come to see you guys right. Right I had heard that a hard drive Had been fried <laughs> I had heard that Yeah some things With like the mixing Had fallen through Is this just music now That we're not gonna hear In this format Or is this still On the horizon In some capacity Well
1: yeah I guess It's you know Goes back to Unlucky's band in the world Thing like We had our third Second album Which Yeah we Yeah hard drive Fried the first time The second time Was uh, some sort of Mixing issues Anyway And then we recorded A third time And that's the one That came out As our second album I think we're probably going to have to do a second, third album as well because everything is ready to be mixed, you know, halfway mixed, but the tracks have gone from being recorded in Baton Rouge like three years ago to being in Birmingham and the mixing process is being held up. So I think we're all pretty exhausted and just want to maybe start from scratch, Um, you know, maybe look at different people to, I I don't know, there's some different studios and things like that we might record at, but I think or might do it ourselves, like we did our first album. But I think we need some forward progress instead of just not knowing when this record is going to come out. What we need to do is pay somebody to do it, so we can be sure it's, it's done. But I don't know. We might do the old, you know, roots approach and do it ourselves again. I mean, we have recording equipment, and it might be a little lo-fi than, you know, what you get in a studio. But you know, you can still get quality sounds, and you might have to experiment to get what you want. But you can get something out in six months versus three years.
0: <laughs> so. so it sounds like it's frustrating.
1: Yeah, it's pretty frustrating. Yeah, we we just need to we just need to do it, you know. Which I think we'll be doing really soon. We've all got some time that's freed up a little bit, so I'd like to get it going again.
0: Let's take a few steps back. You were born in Tuscaloosa, right?
1: No, I was born in Indiana. Actually, ah, what part? Born in Lafayette. Where's that? It's where Purdue University is. So, oh, okay, um, kind of. I guess the middle of the state. so I don't know. I haven't really been back there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, how did you wind up here? When did you?
1: Well, my family moved to Virginia, and I was there for a few years, and then I've been in Alabama since I was about fifteen. So, I guess that's about eighteen years now.
0: So, when did you move to Virginia? How old were you? Uh, five. Five. Yeah. Okay. Do you have much of a memory of Indiana, or,
1: uh, or not really? So I mean, you grew you know, up in Virginia. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I would say really grew up in Alabama. I mean, I was 15, but most of my formative years have been in in Alabama.
0: What did your parents do?
1: Uh my dad worked he he work, he teaches at the university now, but he worked at for NASA in Virginia. So, and my mom raised three boys, you know, pretty much the whole time.
0: Wow. So you got two brothers? Yeah. What did your dad do for NASA?
1: He's a rocket scientist. I don't, <laughs> <you> <laughs> literally yeah, a rocket yeah. scientist. He has a shirt that says that too. <laughs> yes, as a matter of fact, I am a rocket scientist.
0: Wow. That yeah. seems intimidating. Growing up,
1: yeah, it's above my head. So yeah, it takes a special person. Yeah, so
0: you never wanted to wander down the rocket science path? Not at
1: all. No, I'm more on the creative side of things. I think
0: <laughs> you didn't necessarily. Well, I guess Virginia counts as the South to some people and doesn't to others. But you have a Southern upbringing. Would you say or no? Uh,
1: I don't know. In I guess you know my family. My dad's from Baltimore. So, uh, and my mother being from Indiana, it's north of the Mason-Dixon line, I guess, but yeah, it was definitely a, a somewhat of a culture shock when we moved down here, but a really good one, I think, in the, in the long run. You know, Southern hospitality, I mean, it's a real thing.
0: So, your household, I'm guessing, I mean, I might be totally wrong, was it as strict as some Southern households were while you were growing up?
1: Mm, not as strict, I mean, not like, you know... I never got sent to the backyard to get a switch, or like, right? You know, was made to kneel on rice in the corner when I got in trouble. None of that. So,
0: um, <laughs> was religion a part of the household? Uh, at all, no,
1: or? no, my family wasn't religious, and um, we we're more like they exposed me to religion, but you know, it wasn't Southern Baptist religion. Was something I learned about when I moved down here. So it's it's de- definitely very different than when I was exposed to growing up.
0: Well, and for the sake of transparency. I should note that you did play church basketball. I did. And, and <laughs> you right. and I you and I, actually played on a team together. Yeah, so, yeah, you know, yeah. I grew up here, too. I went to Central, and you went to Hillcrest High School. That's right. How did you get involved in church activities if religion wasn't a big part of the well, household? Well,
1: honestly, I started, I guess it was like, you know, just recreationally after school or whatever, we'd... You know, get together certain nights at the church at the you know I guess what was it the the Methodist first church Methodist, in town, first Methodist yeah. and um, we would yeah just play you know games of pickup and I think Austin Stickney was uh, one of the guys who was playing as well around that time uh, at the church. But
0: is he a super tall guy?
1: Yeah, yeah, bartender at Egan's. Okay, good guy. I've known, yeah. yeah, known him since high school. Okay, but we would all uh, yeah play pickup games and stuff. And one of the guys, uh, John, I can't remember his last name, but he was uh, ended up being the coach for one of the for the, the Methodist team. Rushing? Maybe. Okay. But yeah, so I guess that uh I remember one day he came up, he's like, So uh you know, we'd like you to have you on the team. You might have to go to church like a time or two. So I was like, okay, whatever, you know. I don't think I ever went to church anyway, <laughs> but
0: <laughs> So you're an athlete? Yeah, in high school a little bit. Did you play any school sports? Uh baseball and basketball, yeah. Really? Mm-hmm. you said so you played for the school too. Yeah. Basketball yeah, yeah. for the school. And you were a musician. Yeah. Did you, were you a musician in high school?
1: Uh, yeah, yeah, actually, that's kind of why I stopped playing baseball, because, uh, you know, I, I was, uh, playing music, and it, it was just taking up a lot of time, so.
0: So what were you listening to, and uh, playing?
1: What was I listening to, like, music-wise? Yeah. Oh, gosh, uh, I grew up kind of on, kind of punk mentality type thing. My first band I was in, was in high school, and the first band that actually did anything and toured and stuff, it, chocolate low-fat milk uh-huh. a band name. <laughs> <laughs> that's
0: and, uh, with a with a mutual acquaintance george frangoulis, george frangoulis sure. yeah. Yeah. yeah
1: yeah one of my very best friends so. still to this day but yeah we played you know rock and roll band was or you know punk he was really into like the political punk thing uh-huh. you know fight the man so yeah. i kind of grew up in that with that mentality you know to question things and you know he was a big part of like forming you know my tastes a little bit was that
0: encouraged by your parents at all like once you started the music thing and got into punk music and listening to that kind of thing were they were they okay with that yeah,
1: yeah they were they're supportive of whatever I was doing and we practiced in my basement so they always had to listen to it <laughs> and my mom would come down and like you know help help teach uh, you know harmony parts and stuff like that Some my other band members and stuff it was good it was good it was a good nurturing environment
0: so when did you start drumming
1: probably when I was I think I got my first part of my part of a drum set when I was like 13 or 14 my uncle had an old drum set in his attic and he set it up for me one time when I was visiting up in Indiana and uh, taught me how to play Wipeout. And I guess I spent you know, more time up there than I should have playing on the drums, so he sent me home with it. So.
0: <laughs> did you naturally want to drum just because he had the set, or did you figure out at some point that you had a knack for it?
1: I played piano for a long time, for like 12 or 13 years, played classical piano, so... I guess it kind of translated, but yeah, I I like hitting shit a lot more than I did playing the piano, but I mean, now I wish I would have like continued to play piano (laughs) because I don't know, you can, you can't serenade a lady with, with a drum solo. Well, uh,
0: that's not what I hear about drummers. (laughs) That's not what I hear about rock drummers anyway, Chris, I, I hear the opposite actually. So when do you know that you're good enough as a drummer to start playing with a band? When do you start to gain the confidence that you can play publicly? and in front of people?
1: You know, I don't know. There's still always like a, a nice low level of like nervousness, which I think is good. You know, I mean, been playing out since I was 16 years old. The first tour that Chocolate, Low Fat Milk did was on the East Coast for, uh, I don't know, maybe a couple of weeks or something like that. So, I mean, I've, it's just been, I've been constantly playing with somebody since I was younger. So, yeah, I don't know. I guess the, the butterflies go away a little bit and become more confident in what you do. And the feedback you get from other people, you know, it's really nice to have somebody like, some original music that you've done yourself or as a group, something you've created, and they like it for what it is. You know, you're not, you're not playing someone else's music, and you know, it's not that that they're liking. They're liking what you do, so it builds confidence.
0: I know that Hillcrest sports are big there. Yeah, I you guess know, so. Football, baseball, basketball, they're really big there. And I'm curious, once you started getting into like punk music and drumming and a band and, and playing music with, with your friends there, how did that go? in like the Hillcrest setting. Was oh, it
1: was great. I mean, I wasn't like, you know, like, you know, big jock or anything like that. I was, I was pretty much friends with everybody. You yeah. Well, it wasn't like a specific group, but yeah, everyone, I mean, everyone loved it. I think it was a, a talent show was the first time that George Frangoulis and I, you know, and, and Clay Woldridge, it was the three of us, we uh, got up and, Played a song called Astro King that George wrote for, and which became Chocolate Low Fat Milk. Yeah, everyone loved it because it was like three nerds up there playing music, and people to this day still sometimes you know come up and be like, "Oh,
0: Astro King!" Yeah. <laughs> you played an original, yeah. At a, at school talent it. show,
1: yeah. George wrote it, and <laughs> we actually didn't didn't have a name. We needed a name to put on the on the application for the talent show. And we didn't have a band name. It was just three guys just got together, and so we were at lunch. Saw on the milk and said chocolate low fat milk. Put it down, and that was that was a band that I was in for
0: about five years. Do you still remember how to play Astro King? Could oh, you play man,
1: it? I probably could, but you
0: remember how? <laughs> do you remember how it goes?
1: Uh, yeah, <laughs> but I'm just a drummer. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so that's all you've done is play a little piano and drum. Yeah, a, yeah you know, no guitar, or bass, or anything.
1: Uh, I make a noodle around, but I haven't played anything formal or
0: anything. So how long did the chocolate at milk go?
1: Probably about five years, four maybe four four or five years, I guess. You know, I'm still good friends with every one of them. Right. Yeah, but right. but yeah, that was the that was the first, I guess, real band, you know. First band that I recorded with and toured with and stuff like that. So
0: yeah. So, where did you guys tour when you toured? You said East Coast.
1: Yeah, I stuck East Coast. Maybe like you know, down in Florida, and went up to probably North Carolina or something like that. So. Is this
0: like early college age that you're doing this? Or yeah,
1: you... it was probably 17, 18 years old, I guess. Wow.
0: So you're kind of seeing the world a little bit in in a musical setting, band, rock band setting. Yeah. Did you, did you get a taste of the rock star lifestyle at all?
1: Not at all. No. no we were <laughs> we were young, and I thought I think it was great because we were young. We were naive and like you know able to just enjoy it for what it was you know have you have you never know where where you're you're going to be or where, what you're going to where it's going to take you you just have all these expectations and i don't know it's kind of nice now and now that we're older we have a little more of a reality check you know it's like oh we tour on the east coast for two weeks you know probably going to come home a little broke and it is what it is but
0: you mentioned before you got a couple of brothers right we took a little break there for a second and you mentioned that one of them was a Marine, or is a Marine, or...
1: Yeah, I guess once a Marine, always a Marine, right? That's right, yeah, exactly.
0: So. But yeah, my wife's brother. My brother-in-law is a Marine. Um, yeah,
1: he's not currently like active, or, but right. yeah.
0: Right, Okay, and what's your other brother do?
1: Uh, he's a computer geek up in... Um, he lives in New Hampshire now. He's got oh, a big wow. boy job. He's probably making more than my brother and m- me combined. <laughs> <So> <laughs> he's doing well.
0: Great, so y'all are all spread out, huh? Yeah, a little bit. So, Bakwai, you have this experience on the road with chocolate low-fat milk. And I'm guessing it turns you more on to music than it does turn you off to music because here you are several years later and you're still drumming, you're still playing, and you you found another band, a couple other bands. But Bachwise starts in 2004, thereabout. Tell me how you found John Snowden and Adam Pate, or vice versa.
1: Well, Adam, it was some, I think some girl that I liked or something or met at one point. She worked with adam at home depot she ended up not liking me so but she did introduce us so that was cool she's <laughs> like i've got a friend that plays bass so i met adam and they're like we were you know jamming i think i didn't think i was in a band at the time but uh we ended up forming a band called the letdown which ended up being a letdown but <laughs> it was a lot of fun and i'm still friends with those guys you know so and then uh when that band stopped uh, when it ended i was actually out eating dinner and i got a call from the Some number I answered it and it was John. I never met him or anything, but he had gotten my number from like a studio in town when he was looking around for musicians. He totally forgot about me and thought he was calling a different Chris. And so he's like, "Hey man, like, what's going on tonight? You want to be a house shows or anything?" And I was like, "Uh, "No, I don't know." And anyway, we ended up being like, "Who is this? Who is this?" And oh yeah, we made the connection. And okay, I got your number from this guy. And uh, he's like, you want to start a band? So I was like, okay.
0: <laughs> On that same call?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was like, all right, well, um, you know, I have a bass player that, you know, we kind of came up with a package deal. So oh. uh, yeah, Adam and I came in and uh, John and another guy named Jeff that uh, he was friends with. And Is this Jeff Watley? Jeff Watley, One F yeah. Jeff That's of
0: right. uh, 90.7 fame? That's right, Okay, yeah, and did yeah. he play with the ne'er-do-wells too? I think he did, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Yeah, we're anyway. still friends
1: with him as well. Okay, you know, it started out as, as the four of us. But, wow. Um, okay, ended up as a three piece after a while. Well, and,
0: what was the four piece back? the original?
1: Yeah, the v- quartet.
0: Like, what what was that band like?
1: Uh, it was you know, John's writing style was a little different. It was still really good. He was really heavily influenced by Elvis Costello, which is I think is awesome. His songs were a little like bouncier and kind of I don't know, I don't even know the right word maybe cleaner, herky jerky ish, but. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so when you met John, finally, how did you size this guy up that you didn't know who had called you? You'd formed a band on the spot. How'd that go?
1: Uh, it went well. I mean, I love the guy, you know. Um, he j- he had just moved into town from Auburn, so he was kind of new in the town. Didn't know a whole lot of people, and um, yeah, I-, I liked the way he wrote. Adam and I, we we'd been friends for a while at that point, and we both liked how he wrote, and we ended up, you know, I think Jeff was in a little bit different thing so we ended up being a three-piece after a while but yeah just evolved together uh john had like a big problem with like you know he was used to always having control in whatever band he was in and you know writing every part and this and that so we we broke him of that a little bit and now is uh it's great you know how does
0: that work and not to digress too much but somebody is writing the songs John is the, I guess, primary songwriter of the band, correct? yeah. So, when he's writing the songs, how do you, the drummer, and how does the bassist, how do you guys put yourselves into it? How do you mold the songs to your liking? And how do you make it your own along with John's? And how how is he okay with that after you've done that?
1: Yeah, well, um, you know, when we actually practice, uh, you know, John comes to practice with, like, uh, kind of a structure of whatever he's writing. You know, he'll, he'll do the guitar part and usually has ideas for everything else um so we you know i mean he's the he's the uh he's the genius he's the songwriter so you know i definitely respect that and and he'll uh say i want something kind of like this or i'm thinking this and ab and, and i'll just will go off of that and write our parts and you know if he doesn't like it he'll say something we have a good communication so um usually it's just yeah you know, three guys getting together going off of what he's started and try to finish it.
0: I had always heard this myth that John Snowden was also a drummer before oh, Yeah. Wai.
1: He's a good drummer. He's a really good drummer. He,
0: he would tell you that, too, and he would always say, I'm a better drummer than Chris, even.
1: Yeah. Oh, I remember him saying that from the last interview. I remember. Did you, remember. <laughs> did yeah, you guys yeah. develop a personal <laughs>
0: drumming rivalry at all? It's so like you can vouch for him being a good drummer?
1: Yeah, he's a good drummer. I mean, he you know... <laughs> he might be a little out of practice cuz he has not played sure. with many, anybody but uh yeah he's he's really solid i mean he's got a good understanding of of music in general he'll say that he's like a, not a great guitar player and this and that but i mean he is he's awesome he's he's uh he's talented and very like non-traditional than like you know he doesn't have any like super formal training or anything which i think is helps his creative process so i mean a lot of people would probably disagree like that have been formal, formally trained but you know, he comes. He has weird chords and weird, weird songwriting sometimes. But um, yeah, as far as a drummer goes, I mean, we used to set two drum sets up and you know have little drum battles and <laughs> throw our sticks you know to each other to catch and uh, yeah, it was fun.
0: You mentioned that he has weird chords and the songs can be a little unusual. Does it throw you off at all as a collaborator or as a drummer? All these different changes and strange directions that his songs will go, or are you part? Of creating that sort of strange method to the oh, madness, I love
1: it. I, I think I think there's a there's a, there's room for like four four songs, you know, just real straightforward, you know, A B A B C A B type writing, you know, like verse chorus verse chorus mm-hmm. bridge. But I don't really like that. It's really easy to play something like that, and it, it almost you don't really have to think too much to do it. So yeah, I love when he, I mean he'll he'll write songs, and he just naturally I think comes up with stuff that has changes and. He'll write, like, a a two-and-a-half-minute song that has, like, four different time signatures, and it keeps me on my toes. It keeps my brain working, and I like that kind of stimulation, So, which is probably why we're still a band because we play stuff like that instead of, you know, good old, like, Americana or alt-country stuff. Yeah,
0: it doesn't seem like something you get easily tired of doing because of how... I don't want to say wild because it's controlled. I mean, everything... About y'all's performance is very tight. It just goes in all sorts of strange directions, but it seems like something that is extremely well rehearsed. And I know you guys don't practice as much now, but I mean, it's obviously, you know, off the top of your head at this point, but or memorized, but it just seems very controlled.
1: Yeah, yeah. I guess we all like, you know, a genre called math rock. I mean, uh, you know. Where people, it can get way out in left field. Where your time signatures will change, and they'll they'll do stuff backwards, and have like you know fifteen sixteenth time signatures, like really odd stuff. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But um, yeah, it's uh, I think there's something to be said about doing something that appeals to other musicians as well as like normal people that listen to the radio, you know, pop sensible without being boring.
0: Well, you don't seem bored when you play because something I've always noticed since day one when I saw you guys, I feel like I saw you guys at maybe a 90.7 benefit at the Jupiter maybe back in 2005 or 2006. Yeah, it was it was in y'all's first couple of years for sure. And one thing I've noticed, I noticed then all the way up to now and it hasn't really changed is you drum with a lot of energy and enthusiasm. And I don't know if you deliberately do this or or it's something you really think about going into it or as you're doing it but it almost comes across as a performance unto itself within the show where Chris isn't you're not in your own little world because you're totally with the band and everything sounds together but you're putting on a little bit of a show yourself back there aren't you with how much enthusiasm you bring to the show is that something that you think about that you want to either entertain yourself or others with the style of drumming and the performance within your drumming that you bring with each show?
1: I don't know. I don't, I guess I don't really think about it that much. I mean, I've, I've looked back at videos of myself and playing in chocolate, fat milk when I was 17, 18, 19 years old, all the head bobbing and whatever, shaking the head and sweating. I mean, it, it all was going on then too. I guess I've just, uh, I don't know. Maybe it's, it becomes, it's become more natural now because I really don't, I really don't think about it. I just, you know, I, I have fun and have fun mm-hmm. with my bandmates and, Part of that's moving to whatever beat we got going on. So
0: yeah, it looks like you burn calories during yeah. your shows for sure. I wonder, are there other drummers that you grew up watching or influenced that style of play, or is that just something that came naturally to you?
1: Well, there's some like you know small like little things like you know Buddy Rich did the up and down cymbal thing, and you know I, I kind of stole it from that. But Buddy Rich is you know one of my favorite drummers uh, I think of all time. But uh, yeah, nobody specific other than maybe bands that we've played with that we've toured with. Um, you know, Jerry Pentecost who used to play with Sound and Shape, he was our old drummer, he was really flashy and so when we toured with him I would you know, we would try to get new tricks on on the while we we're playing, you know, just throw each other off or get one up on each other. So he had this move where he would stick his uh, his left foot up and like hit the hi hat with it. And uh, so I'd try to, I never could get that one down. <laughs> you didn't work but,
0: yeah. that one into your game yet? No. in yeah. the rotation? <laughs> so. Sound and Shape is a band that you guys have toured with occasionally or yeah. play shows with. I don't know if you guys have gone on the we road with them. Yeah, we,
1: we have before. We haven't played with them in probably a couple of years, actually, but we're still friends with all of them. They've gone through some lineup changes themselves. But, but yeah, we used to tour with them a little bit and play more.
0: You guys have toured several times. You guys have gone up the East and West Coasts, and you've, you've played in so many different places throughout the country now, mm-hmm. and you've talked about moving to another place as a result of touring and, and visiting these places that you've kind of, I guess, fallen in love with to some degree. What do you like about touring, and what don't you like about it? I mean, is it something that you look forward to, or is it a grind?
1: It, I mean, it's a grind, but at this point, it's not in a bad way. Like I said, we've been playing together for so long, it's really just like three brothers that get along most of the time, going on adventures together. I mean, like right now, I think two week, two and a half week tours are, are the most ideal because we're all working back home, and so you know we can't we're not leaving for too long to where we lose our jobs or anything. But yeah, I don't know. You get to meet people in every all across the country. You have a place to stay, even if you're not playing in the band. You meet friends. You get fed. You get to just experience things. It, it's a good excuse to go on vacation, you know go somewhere with a purpose and and meet new people. That's what I like about it the most is just having a good time meeting new people.
0: Well, logistically or from a I guess a business standpoint because there is that side of what you guys do and and trying to be in a band and I hate to use the term this is a, a an antiquated and ridiculous term at this point but make it I guess what a lot yeah, of bands right. are trying to do, right? Like trying to get people to hear their stuff. What do you look at touring as? What is the end game and what is the goal that you have personally for the band when you guys hit the road and play for other cities?
1: I don't think we're really, you know, expecting to like make it right. or anything like that right. at this point. It's I guess it's just the, it's the love of doing what we're doing. Every time we tour now, we generally come back making money, so that that helps. We're being a little smarter about the places we book and uh, to where we know we're going to make money, or at least make enough gas money to get to the next place. Yeah, I don't know. Other than just, we like to get out of town. You know, we feel Tuscaloosa can trap you, so it's nice to get out of town. We'll take friends sometimes with us, you know, to work merch or whatever. Yeah, it just feels, it still feels like we're doing something. You know, we'll play a new venue in, in New York or Pennsylvania or something, and even though we've played for 10 years, it's the first time they've ever heard us, so you still get that like newness-type feeling, which is nice.
0: What would you say is, is the highest high that you've felt from touring? I mean, what what personal satisfaction have you really gotten from it that has told you this was the right thing to do for us, and for uh, me as a musician?
1: I mean, it's always pretty cool to, to go somewhere where you've never played and to have somebody come up and say, oh, oh I got your CD, and... I brought these people out, and, you know, you got people singing our songs. When we're not in Tuscaloosa, we've never played for these people. They just like us enough to listen enough to sing our lyrics. Like, I mean, that's, that's, that's a pretty big high, I guess, uh, going somewhere. And it, you know, really makes you think, yeah, if we keep doing this enough, more and more people are going to be like that. Maybe, maybe you could actually make some money doing it.
0: But If you go to a Bakwai show here in Tuscaloosa, I mean, I don't think it matters which venue you go to. You see people singing along to the music yeah you know every single word so the new stuff and the old stuff when you see that, what goes through your head?
1: Uh, oh, it's awesome. We have a family in Tuscaloosa, you know I think the last one of the last shows we played, John didn't think he had a really good show, but he said uh he looked out and was like, he's like, man, it doesn't matter like I don't know what he said exactly, but it was something along the lines of you know it's cool to be able to play in front of people that we consider family that are always going to support us, no matter even if he has you know we have a shitty show or whatever yeah it doesn't matter there was going to be the Tuscaloosa family that's going to be there supporting us every single time. So you, know, you got some some regulars like yourself that have been out to, I don't know how many shows in the last 10 years. So it's pretty awesome.
0: You've mentioned when you go to other places and, and something that makes you feel good is that in whichever city you're in that you maybe have gone back to, people have listened to your music and they're singing the songs in other cities. So you found that people like Bakwai outside of Tuscaloosa, right? Yeah, it seems that way. Yeah. Y'all have flirted with leaving Tuscaloosa. How far has that flirtation gone and and what do you think has really kept you here?
1: We were talking about moving to Oregon at one point years you know several years ago, but uh it fell through a little bit, and I don't see a problem with keeping Tuscaloosa as like a as a home base you know as long as we are touring like none of us want to be the band that stays in Tuscaloosa and plays three times a month, and that's all we do you know as long as we're still moving and getting out of out of out of state. You know, I don't see a problem with using Tuscaloosa as a home base. You know, if you're in, if you're in town, we're talking about maybe touring for, uh, you know, three weeks or so every three months, which gets us out of town enough to feel like we're doing something. Yeah. And in between, you know, we can work on new stuff
0: and record. You've also got real jobs, too.
1: Yeah, yeah we all I mean,
0: do. You have a, a full time job other outside of music. Mm-hmm. And what is it that you do? I'm a nurse in an emergency
1: department. Yeah. So yeah. But they work with me on schedule. I've been there for a long time. So I was going to say,
0: how does that affect your, your music career?
1: It really, I guess, it enables me to, you know, take off and go play. You know, I mean, that's, that's one thing I really like about it is that it's so flexible that I could, you know, I'll work and save money and then I can ask off for work for a month or whatever or, or two weeks, you know. So it enables me to do what I love to do just like, you know, John and Adam, you know, working at a working at a bar, most of the time they're understanding enough to let you go, you know, if you got a tour.
0: You mentioned, you know, we talked about like the good the good part of touring, right? Yeah. There's another side of that coin, obviously. There's frustration that comes with it. In your experience, what about touring has sent you maybe towards the verge of or have you ever reached a point where you've thought maybe this isn't for me? Or maybe this isn't for any of us, or this band in particular. Maybe I don't want to do this. Has that ever happened to you when you've been on the road or when you've been playing?
1: Yeah, I think we've all been to that point. But it usually happens when you know we book a show with expectations and we get there and nobody's there, or you know the, the things that we were told don't happen, or you know yeah you play some shit shows and you start being like, God, is it really worth it to make you know twelve dollars? When we drive 300 miles, you know, between cities, like, yeah, I mean, it it sometimes can be a little frustrating, but we're at the point now, like I said, where we're smarter booking shows, so it doesn't really happen as much anymore, I don't think. We all know that we could be at home working throughout tour and making more money for ourselves, but, you know, we're not going to be doing what we love doing, so.
0: I'm curious, you know, I've never been in a band, I'm not a musician, but I've always wanted to know, especially somebody who has followed musicians and paid closer attention, Here in Tuscaloosa, than some. How hard is it to try and make a band work?
1: I don't think it's hard to just start a band. Um, It might be hard to keep a band together because you start, you know, just like anyone you hang out with for a long, you know, too long, you start noticing all the little things that piss you off. Or, like, I don't know, I mean, you're married. I'm sure you went through a point where it's like leaving the cap off the toothpaste, you know, it's like little things like that, that that really start. Getting to you But then You get to a point After you get past all that You know Where you just take it all in stride And you're like Oh that's who they are It's really similar to like Any relationship Any like I mean it's kind of romantic In Bokwai We have a little romance But you know it, I'd say it's a lot A lot similar It's really parallel to any kind of Romantic relationship It's easy to start To to hook up with somebody But You know Once you get into it You either leave them Or you Keep it going
0: So, <laughs> so. In in a sense, you kind of feel like Bakwa is more of a marriage than anything.
1: Yeah, I think so. Yeah. We all love each other. Yeah. It's a very loving relationship. Yeah. It's a love-hate.
0: Love-hate. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm sure that love outweighs the hate, but... Yeah. Well, you hesitated there. It's like, it's... Yeah, well, most definitely. Most definitely, yeah. <laughs>
1: John and I are like the married couple, and Adam's like our counselor. Uh-huh. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what is that dynamic? How does that work?
1: It's good. Um, I mean, being a three piece, you're always two against one if you're having an argument, So there's always democracy. And Adam's like the voice of reason. You know, John and I might go to Adam and be like, well, "John's doing this, Chris doing this," and he'll just be like, "All right, guys, he'll just sort it out." So <laughs> it's a good, it's a good relationship.
0: And so you also play in another band. Great American Breakdown mm-hmm. is another band. Is that still active right now?
1: Yeah, it's still active. We're yeah. we, we're we've kind of slowed down a little bit. We've just recorded a CD, so you know, we're just kind of being selective about shows and kind of in a holding pattern right now.
0: What do you like about that band compared to Bakwai? Are there major differences? It's
1: just a different group of people, you know. I mean, like I said, you—you you, it takes a while to really get to know each other and get to take know how to take each other. Um, and we all get along, you know. We, we did a tour out to Austin in the back. It was the only tour, the longest tour that they've ever done as a band. And, yeah, you, you realize some things like, wow, you, you do have to sleep on floors. And, you know, you, you may not shower tonight, you know. So it was good, but it was a little rough. We're not really an established band outside of Alabama, so... The money wasn't quite there like it was with Bakwai. It was harder to book shows. You know, usually with Bakwai, I guess we've been around for so long and played enough places that it's easy to call someone up and, you know, you have the personal connections established. And so it's been a lot easier with Bacwai than it is with the breakdown outside of Alabama. But inside, like in Birmingham, I mean, the breakdown does great, you know, some, sometimes even better than Bakwai. So
0: so Bakwai is going to carry on.
1: Yeah, most definitely. I don't, I don't think we could stop if we even wanted to.
0: Why do you say um, that?
1: It's kind of defined us for the past 10, 11 years. I mean, we each have our, our own things that we've got going on, but uh, I told John the other day, actually, I was like, we're going to be in a band till the day we die. I mean, we can be 50 years old. We're still going to be collaborating. We're still going to be probably recording. You know, the Woggles, uh, they're a band that all four of them live all across the country, and they'll get together, and they'll rehearse for a day or two, and then they'll go on tour. Like, they're playing Japan, and none of them live in the same state, so it's possible once you get to a certain maturity, I guess, to do stuff like that, you know.
0: It sounds like that's something that inspires you as a musician. That's something that you could see yourself doing. You wanna keep playing as long as you can.
1: Yeah, I think so. Yeah, those guys, I mean, they've they've recorded I don't know, put out I don't know how many albums and yeah, they have a name for themselves and they can they can make the phone calls to get the hundreds of dollars for shows and they they've they've just established themselves in the in the music community enough to where it's it's a lot easier to get shows booked, get money, get fed so it's it's not as much as a as a task uh, for someone like that I don't think um, they still work hard obviously, but you know there's other bands like that too like you know model citizen is is you know one of my favorite bands that I grew up with, and the Dexatines. their bands still exist they just don't play as much but they're still playing their their bands still are in existence
0: well you guys are playing a show in Tuscaloosa. On St. Patrick's Day, that's Tuesday, March 17th, y'all are going to play with couches Mm -hmm. at Green Bar. You know, I encourage people to go. I I still love it. I think you guys do an incredible job. I think y'all write some of the best music I've heard, certainly in this town. I hope you keep going. I hope you keep playing shows in Tuscaloosa, and I hope we hear some of that new material. I hope it gets in people's hands really soon, because like I said, you go to y'all's shows, and people are singing those songs. There's an audience for it. Hopefully we'll see that soon, and hopefully just generally we'll see Bokwai playing shows.
1: Yeah, it'll be nice. Yeah. And give us something to do.
0: I think so, too. Chris Ziler, thanks, man. Thanks, man.